This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. On the True Talk Radio Network. Let me give you those numbers again. one 669 1292 is the number to call to get in on a conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Now, we've been experiencing some technical difficulties, and uh, those of you watching the live stream uh, have seen them. Uh, it, is a, it, it is a glitch in the software that we're using, and uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of it. It's, uh, it's not working too well. The software is uh, is giving us problems. Uh, we've contacted the manufacturer. We're trying to figure out the problem. So bear with us. But uh, right now we are on the air and you could hear us. And uh, that's what matters to me. So um, you want to call in, you could do so. one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 We live in a, a crazy world. It, it is a crazy mixed up shook up world as the kink said about 60 years ago when they were talking about lola uh now lola was a uh, was a was a woman that the uh, the character in the song lola met the the lead the lead character in the song lola met in a bar down in nottingham uh where they drank champagne that tasted just like uh, cherry cola uh now now lola turns out uh well it seems as you listen to the song, that Lola was uh, was was not a woman; it was a man, and uh, and gender was important in this story, because the main character did not want to be dating a man, and Lola turned out to be a man and uh, and crushed his spine. Uh, it, it was it's an interesting song. It was interesting that song came out sixty years ago because it could come out last week. Uh, for years, we've been told. That there are no genders. This is this is what we've been told for years, that uh, gender is a social construct, and uh, and and there's sex. Uh, sex is a social construct. Uh, you know, uh, just just a couple of weeks ago, there were there were videos circulating uh, of of educators saying that that uh, the doctor has to guess what somebody is when they're born. They can't just look down and see certain appendages to the body. And say, oh, you're a male and you're a female, because those don't exist. There are no males and there are no females. There are non-binary people, and people have to choose what gender they are. And it doesn't matter what sex they are, what what their bodies tell them. It's how they feel. And and this has been the the ongoing and continuous uh, uh, diatribe that we've had for the last few years, for the last decade at least. Uh, when I was at university, it was interesting. Uh, I, I took a literature course, and this is one of my favorite stories about this, because I took a literature course uh, just a couple of years ago at university. It was a mandatory course for the uh, for the degree I was doing. Uh, it was my third university degree. I was finishing it off, and uh, it was a mandatory course. I had to take intro to literature. And it all started off great. We we read some stories. Some of the stories were actually really good. And uh, and then we moved on to... Um, uh, and And... We would go to a lecture with with a professor, and then we would go to a workshop with a teacher's assistant. The workshop was the interesting part of the course. We went into the workshop first day, so the, the professor lectured, and then we moved on into the workshop. And the teaching assistant got up at the workshop and said, "This is a safe place." What do I mean by a safe place? It means that we don't talk about gender here. There's no genderfication. You can't you can't refer to somebody as he, her, him, her, uh, he, she. There's no genders here. This is also a, a place where we, we don't talk about um, controversial topics, so we can't insult people, and you can't uh, you can't use language that people might find offensive. I thought that was interesting. I, I okay. Um, I, I'm not the type of person who's going to hold my tongue. So I was a little worried that when we got into the course of conversation uh, within the context of this course that I would, uh, I would get myself into a little bit of trouble. And I needed this course in order to get my degree. And this was the, the third year of a three-year degree, and I, I didn't want to mess that up. 
So I was trying to figure out how I was going to hold my tongue in order to not lose out onto the gray. So no gentrification. And, and, and there were a couple of people in the room that you really couldn't tell if they were men or, or women. They, it was, it was, they were indistinguishable. You couldn't tell. And I really didn't care. I wasn't there to, to date anybody. I wasn't there to have interpersonal relationships. I was there to get the degree, to do the classwork, get the degree, and get out of there. That was, that was my goal. So I, I really didn't care what the gender of anybody in the room was. So what is interesting is, though, that uh, as the course went on, suddenly we reached a week where they were talking about feminist literature. And, and the, the professor got up and gave a whole speech about how, how women were never representative in, in writing and, and how feminist literature changed that and a woman's perspective came into writing. And then we went to the workshop with the TA who told us that gender doesn't exist in that classroom. And I was curious. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was more of a curiosity thing. I, I I went into the room curious how this TA, how this teaching assistant was going to handle feminist literature in a room where there's no gender. I sat down and the professor's assistant got up, the teaching assistant got up and said, all right, you heard the lecture. Does anybody have any questions? And I raised my hand and, and maybe I shouldn't have done it, but... But it's me. How could I not? I raised my hand and I said, I have a question. And she looked at me and said, okay. I said, what is feminist literature? Could you explain to me the concept of feminist literature? Because for, for, for a couple of weeks already in this, in this course, you were telling us that there is no gender, that gender doesn't exist. There are no males, there are no females, everybody's the same, right? We're all non-binary and we have to make our own decisions on whether we're male or female, even though some of us have appendages that, that represent male and some of us have appendages that represent female. We're, we're, all, we're all the same. That's, that's what you told us for weeks. And now, and now you're telling me that there's a female perspective, but if males and females are the same and there's, there's really no difference between the genders, what do we need a female perspective for? What, what is feminist literature for? She hummed, she hawed, she scratched her head, and then she asked me to leave. So I asked a tough question, a question that, 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 that challenged the basis of what she had expressly said in the class, and she tossed me out. And as I left the class, I, I called her a hypocrite. I said, you are a hypocrite. I said, how could you possibly tell me that there are no genders and then tell me it's very important to study feminist literature? And that's hypocritical. And, and I see the same hypocrisy today in this whole debate about abortion. I see the same hypocrisy. The same people who are telling me that gender doesn't exist, that, uh, that, that you can't refer to people as he, she, male, female, that, that everybody, needs, uh, everybody needs the same bathrooms, everybody needs the same changing rooms, and, and we shouldn't really separate ourselves based on our sex, based on how we were born, and, and gender is a choice. And now suddenly, and now suddenly, and now suddenly, I'll repeat it three times because... It happened three times in the last couple of weeks. Now suddenly, the, 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 the idea that a woman exists and a woman could have a baby is now prevalent in society, which it wasn't a few weeks ago. The idea that uh, a woman could be a press secretary, a black lesbian woman could be pre press secretary, is now prevalent and celebrated when people are telling me that there is no genders, when, when the media is telling me that there's no gender, that we have to be respectful, we can't, we can't say there, there, there are genders, and then suddenly they're celebrating uh, Hillary Clinton running for president. They're celebrating uh, the first woman, black woman, lesbian press secretary. They're celebrating all this stuff. It seems hypocritical to me. I generally take a stand and I, and I hold to it. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole abortion debate because it's irrelevant to me. The abortion debate is irrelevant to me. If the if the reason it's irrelevant, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. The reason it's irrelevant is because Judy is fairly clear on this. 
if the mother's life is in danger, then then abortion is is legal uh, because there is a there is there's a concept of saving a human life. Uh, so if the mother's life is in danger and the the taking the baby out of the mother would save the mother's life, then that's what you do. So so I have no I have no debate about this. This is not an issue for me. But the whole concept of the uh, of the hypocrisy of the debate. When, where the rules keep changing, the goalposts keep getting pushed. That's what drives me crazy. And that's, that's really what I hate uh, about these kind of political debates. And you see it all the time. You see it in the debate about, uh, about the Arab-Israel conflict. You see it in the debate about abortion. You see it in the debate about gender and, uh, and, and, and roles in society. You see the debate about transgenders. You, you see this, this, this hypocrisy that every time a, a logical argument is made uh, which which the radical left doesn't accept, the goal line gets pushed, and then the goal line gets pushed again, and pushed again, and pushed again, and eventually the goal line disappears, and there is no more there is no more end goal, and it's just a matter of uh, of beating a dead horse, and and it bothers me it bothers me to a great extent because at one time there was a time where you were able to have an intelligent legitimate conversation you may not have agreed with what the other person was arguing with you about but you were able to have that conversation you were able to argue you were able to to have a political debate without one person hating the other person at least not too much and without one person wanting to kill the other person what changed over the years and i thought about this for a long time what changed over the years why can't you have a conversation today when 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 12 years ago 15 years ago you were able to have a conversation the answer is social media. That's that's what changed everything. Social media was a game changer. It was a game changer in life. It was a game changer in uh, in, in many different ways. And one of the major ways that it was a it was a game changer was not so good. What happened was you, everybody had a platform. At one point, you know, you were a media person. You had a platform. You got onto radio. You got onto television, and you were able to um, to talk to an audience. And your opinion held a little more weight than the next person's opinion because you were on TV. So if you were on TV, people assumed that you, uh, that you knew what you were talking about. People assumed that what they heard you say was well-researched and well-documented. Uh, well and, and, so, and so they trusted you. Today, that's not so, that's not so much the case. Today, anybody with a webcam could have a TV show. Anybody with a, uh, with a microphone could have a radio show. So it might not air on traditional radio waves. You may not be able to, uh, to pick it up in your car on your old AM radio. But anybody could, could pretty much do a show. And, and to me, that's, that's, really, that's really sad. And it's a really a downside to, uh, to social media. And the reason I say that is not a selfish reason. It's not, I've never made money doing radio. I've done radio for 30 years. I worked for commercial radio for, for about 12. And I was, on, I was on the AM radio. I was on AM. I had an AM radio show for about 18 years. I, I feel that, that people who express their opinions publicly should have some, some, sort, of, um, some sort of training. There, there is a responsibility when you open a microphone and you speak. There is a responsibility for telling the truth. There's a responsibility for uh, for being as accurate as you can. I know I'm old-fashioned. I get it. I, I understand. I'm a, I'm a dinosaur. I understand. But at the same time, I think we lose something when any Tom, Dick, or Harry could open a microphone and express an opinion. I think we we lose we lose something. We we lose an art. Radio used to be an art. There used to be a, a, a way to do radio, uh, which, was, which was an art, and people had to be good at what they did. Today, everybody has a podcast. Everybody's doing a radio show. So not only is there a lot of competition to get your voice out there, which, uh, which I don't care about. I mean, if you want to listen, you'll listen. If you don't want to listen, that's fine, too. It's your prerogative. You don't have to listen to the show. Uh, so I, I really, I really not too worried about how many people are listening and how many people want to listen. It doesn't really matter to me. I do the show because I feel that what we do here 
the uh, this show serves an important serves an important uh, it's an important aspect of uh, of spreading opinions that aren't necessarily and aren't necessarily expressed in uh, in mainstream media and not necessarily expressed uh, in in the community. So uh, so I do the show as a service to uh, to to people who don't agree with mainstream. We've always been a little off mainstream and uh, I do it I do the show because I don't think that uh, I speak on I speak on behalf of myself, but uh, I I'm in the Jewish community and I don't really think that Jewish community organizations speak for everybody. They definitely don't speak for me. And since they don't speak for me, and they're not my voice, even though they claim to be, I have my own voice. And I've had my own voice for 30 years. I've, I've done a radio show for 30 years. And I have my own voice for 30 years. And I feel it's important to have a voice for 30 years like this. And so that's why I keep doing it. I don't make any money doing this. In fact, it costs me money every month to do this. But I do it with pleasure because I want to be able to express an opinion. Speaking of that, uh, one of the men who, um, who allowed me to express an opinion for 18 years on his radio station, Robert Levy, is, uh, is being honored tonight. It's being honored tonight by the Sephardic community of Montreal. And I want to congratulate Robert. I haven't spoken to him in years uh, since I left that radio station. I haven't spoken to Robert Levy. But I want to congratulate him and his wife, Esther, on this, on this great honor, on being honored by the community for 50 years of community service. Robert put his heart and soul into that radio station. He worked really hard to, to get the station on the air. He worked really hard to, uh, to maintain the station. He fought for years to keep the station on the air, and he's still running that radio station. And even though we are no longer affiliated and no longer part of it and, and probably never will be part of it ever again, uh, we have to acknowledge the fact that Robert put in all this work. So congratulations to Robert Levy and Esther Levy on being honored uh, tonight by the community of Sephard. And, uh, and may you have many more years of health and happiness and, uh, and, and volunteerism in, in the community. Congratulations, Robert Levy. So that said... And we don't congratulate people enough. Uh, I went over this a uh, couple of days ago. We we talked about uh, people in the community who who work really hard and put a lot of effort into it and never get recognition because the only people in the community who get recognition are the are are the rich people, the people with money in their pockets, the people who could give donations. So the people who give donations are always put on the top of the list, and the people who don't give donations are always put on the bottom of the list. Even though they could put in hundreds of hours of work into the community, they, they are never recognized for their work. And uh, it's nice to see that sometimes, that, that sometimes people recognize the little man. And it took 50 years for them to recognize Robert Levy and the work that he did for the community, but, um, but, but at least 50 years later, he's getting his due. So uh, I hope and pray that many more organizations will start honoring people who work really hard in the community and, and do a lot of jobs. Now, this is not a call for me to be honored, and please, I don't want to be. I've never done this for the, I've never done this for the, uh, for the kavod, as they say, for the, uh, for the honor. I've done this because I think it's an important, important thing to do. Jewish life is not easy. It's not easy anywhere in the world. Jews are the most hated people in the world. Uh, I can't think of another group of people who are more hated than the Jews. Now, it may not be explicit all the time, but the undertone is always there. And we always have to remember that as Jews living in the diaspora, Jews living outside of Israel. We always have to remember that our friends may not be our friends. Our neighbors may not like us as much as we think they do. And I know it's a horrible way to live. It's a horrible way to think that, that, that we're living in societies we're living in communities where people might actually hate us, where people might actually want to kill us or, or be tempted to kill us if, if the situation arises, which would allow them to do that. Now, I know, I know it sounds ludicrous to say that today, and I'm sure it sounded ludicrous to say that in 1933, too, when you were living in Germany, and you considered yourself more German than Jewish. I, I'm sure it, it was ludicrous if somebody like Zev Jabotinsky got up and walked around Europe and then traveled around Europe and said, hey, listen, 
there are uh, there's a danger coming, and if you're Jewish, you better get out and move to Palestine, move to Israel. Uh, I think I think it's important that people do that. And, and he was considered a loon too. So every time anybody gets up, any strong Jew that gets up and says, "Hey, listen, uh, I I see I see a problem in the future," they're considered loons. And and it's interesting to me that we are waiting for the coming of Messiah, and and Jews pray every day for the coming of the Messiah. And if Messiah actually came, and a person got up and said, I am the Messiah, I am the Jewish Messiah, here are my credentials, I can guarantee that three-quarters of the Jewish community would, would think he's a quack and the rest wouldn't care. And nobody would listen to the Jewish Messiah. It's it's just something that came to my mind, and I'm pretty sure it's accurate. And, uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, about a week ago, a couple of dozen Jews were moved from a flight from Lufthansa Air, 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 uh, Airlines. They, they were moved. They, they were removed. Why is English so hard for me today? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let's try that again. Dozens of people were removed from a flight from Lufthansa's Air, airline uh, because a couple of them, they were all Orthodox Jews and they were all traveling, and a few of them refused to put on masks according to the COVID-19 regulations. So instead of removing the couple of people who refused to wear the masks, which was the rule in the, uh, in the, for the airline, uh, they decided to remove all Jews from the flight. So they made an announcement saying, if you're Jewish, identifiably Jewish, and we could see you're Jewish, you're not allowed on the plane. Now I could think of uh, about 100 different things that are wrong with that scenario. And uh, and and including that it was a German airline, so that that was that was also something that that really irks me a little bit. Um, about a hundred people, hundred Orthodox Jews weren't allowed on the flight. They were they were booted from the German flight, and they argued, and they were told that if you continue arguing, you will be arrested. I, I saw the videos, and it is um, it, it is true. That's exactly what happened. It's shameful that in twenty twenty three. Well, almost 23. It's 2022. It's shameful that in 2022, uh, I don't know what's going on tonight. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, all day, all day, from, from the morning till now, I, I've been mixing my words up. And I've been, I've been speaking and I've been talking to a lot of people all day. I, I, I work in a job which requires me to speak a lot. And... Um, and I've been mixing up. I've been mixing everything up today. It, it's been one of those days. Do you ever have those days where you wake up and uh, and 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 you mix up your words? Uh, it's one of those days. I've, I woke up this morning. I've been mixing up my words all day. So let's try this again for the third time. And uh, third time's a charm. Uh, but a hundred Jews were thrown off a German flight with Lufthansa Airlines because they refused to put on masks. Their COVID nineteen uh, face masks. Uh, and, well. Not all hundred refused to put them on, to, to, to not put them on. It was only a few of them that refused to not put them on. But all the Jews were thrown off the flight. And an announcement was made that Orthodox Jews weren't allowed on the flight, and every Jew that looked like a Hasidic Jew was not allowed onto the flight. Now, there's about a hundred things wrong with this scenario. <laughs> Just about a hundred. I could, I could think of a little more, but there's about a hundred things wrong with the scenario. Not only the fact that it was a German airline that, uh, that, that threw them off, but, but the fact that we were picking Jews out of a crowd, they were, they were saying, you're Jewish, so you can't fly on our airline. You're Jewish, you can't do this. Now, this kind of discrimination is, uh, is, is frightening. But even more frightening is that the world did not react to this. Sure, the Anti-Defamation League of the United States said that Lufthansa's uh, non-apology is non-acceptable, but they get paid to say that. That's how they get their funding. But other than them, there has been no great outrage about the airline doing this. Now, just imagine for a second, and I know it's not hard, it's hard to imagine, but just imagine for a second that an airline decided that 100 black people wouldn't be able to get onto the plane because two black people decided not to put on a mask. Imagine the world outrage if that happened. 
or two Arabs. Imagine a world outrage if that happened. There would be talk shows. CNN would be have nonstop coverage from uh, wall-to-wall coverage with people condemning the airline, calling them racist. Uh, the president of the United States would make a statement. The, uh, the president of every country in the world would make a statement. It would be a huge deal. But 100 Jews thrown off a German airplane because a couple of them didn't want to wear masks flew under the radar of everybody. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. Because it was only Jews. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of things like this happening to Jewish people and the world not caring. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling that less than 100 years after the Holocaust, Jews are still not valued in society. Now, we spoke a couple of t- days ago about why this happened, because, uh, you know, I, in my opinion, in my opinion, this is because, uh, you know, Jews still follow the Torah. And if you're following the Torah, uh, you're not following the New Testament and the Quran. And so the new the new covenant with God, the new new covenant with God um, don't apply to you. So so the jealousy of having the truth is part of it. Uh, another part of it, and I think I think another part of it is that um, Jews aren't assertive. That that Jews don't make a big deal about stuff. You know, we we live in a persecution. We live with this kind of persecution problem. We we have a persecution complex where we feel that if we complain about something, it'll just make it worse. If we complain about something, we'll 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 it's like stabbing the bear. Don't stab the bear, and the bear won't come and bite you. So, you know, if the bear hits you and you hit the bear back, well, then then you're tempting the bear to come and hit you again. But if you if the bear hits you and you don't hit the bear back, then the bear might f- get distracted and forget about you. And and this is the concept that the Jewish community has been working under for for many many years. I think it's wrong. I think it's a hundred percent. I think it's totally wrong. And I think we have a problem because if we don't show that we're strong when the, when, the, when the haters come, then we are encouraging more hate against us. It's the exact opposite of what, of what that theory says. The theory says that if you poke the bear and the bear, if the bear hits you and you poke the bear, the bear is going to hit you even more. Uh, I have the exact opposite theory that if the, if the bear hits you and you hit the bear back three times as hard, the bear is not going to think of hitting you again. It's like the old bully in the schoolyard. When he comes up to you and he punches you and you fall to the ground crying, the bully says, huh, I got my victim. If the bully punches you and you break the bully's arm, then suddenly that bully ain't, no, ain't going to punish you again. He's not going to punch you again, is he? I don't think so. one 669 1-877-669-1292 is the number to call. Get in on the conversation. Right here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. TrueTalkRadio.com is the official site of the Howie Silberger Show, where we have uh, a whole list of shows that air on the True Talk Network radio app. So you can download the True Talk Radio Network app from your app store, either an iPhone store or an Android store. It's up on both. It is free. And with that app, you could listen to all the talk on True Talk Radio. So there's the Howie Silverstein and a whole lot more. Check out the schedule on truetalkradio.com. Beating on bullies is something the Jewish community needs to learn how to do. When somebody comes and says they want to destroy the Jewish community, the Jewish community must go to destroy them first. We must defend ourselves and we must be seen as tough people we can't be seen as the weaklings we can't be seen as the people who who always get stepped on the people who always get the sand kicked in our face because if we continue to be seen like that and we've been seen like that since the uh, since the end of the holocaust if we continue to be seen like that we are inviting a new brand of hatred. We are inviting, oh, maybe it's even an old brand of hatred, we are inviting uh, another another genocide. We are inviting another mass murder. Now, I know, that should happen. God forbid that should happen. But it might. And if it does, 
we're 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 kind of we're kind of saying that we're ripe for the picking. Kind of like the kid on the schoolyard, who sits in the corner crying because he's afraid that somebody's going to come and hit him. Ripe for the picking. I don't like being like that. Now I've said before on the show that I didn't like the way Holocaust education was taught. Uh, I said I didn't like the Holocaust museums. I've gone to a whole lot of Holocaust museums, and I really don't like Holocaust museums because they always depict the Jews as the losers, not as the winners. In my opinion, and it's only my opinion, it's my humble opinion, as humble as I could be being a talk show host, in my opinion, the Jews won the Holocaust. We were the victors. We were not the victims. Sure, there were Jews that died during the Holocaust, Jews that were murdered, Jews that were brutally murdered during the Holocaust. They were victims of the Holocaust, but the Jewish people were not the victim of the Holocaust. They were the victors. We won. We're still here. Nazis aren't. Hitler lost the war. He lost to the Jews. His goal was to destroy the Jewish people. The Jewish people are nice. We're here and we're strong. So I, I like to depict ourselves as, as winners, not losers. I like to say that that we, we won the Holocaust and the proof of that is that I'm sitting here talking to you. Now, I know a lot of people get angry at me when I say these things, especially this. I've gotten into plenty of fights for making this statement. But, but I honestly believe that if Holocaust museums changed the message, the message that, that, that we, were the, we were the victims and we are still the victims... If they change that message, maybe the community would change their attitude. It's hard to motivate a community who continuously sees themselves as piles of ashes. It's hard to motivate a community that continuously sees themselves as piles of, cor- of corpses. How do you motivate yourself to get up and defend your community when you believe that you're still part of that pile of corpses? It's extremely difficult, isn't it? Which is why we have to change the imagery. It's important to remember that Jews, that Jews were murdered. It's important to remember that the Nazis uh, were, were the, well, Nazis and the Ukrainians were the, were the worst people when it came to persecuting the Jews, the Germans and the Ukrainians. Mostly the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians were terrible. They were the worst people uh, in the Holocaust, destroying the Jewish people, killing tens of thousands of Jewish people in one night, torturing Jews at whim, gleefully torturing Jews. The Ukrainians were terrible to the Jewish people, and they have always been terrible to the Jewish people, which is why I have no empathy for Ukraine now, nor do I have any care in the world if Ukraine exists tomorrow, if Russia wipes Ukraine off the map, I won't lose an Uh, I won't even lose a second of sleep. Now, the Jews of Ukraine, unfortunately, they're not the brightest bunch. They stayed in a country that has massacred and murdered and destroyed Jews for centuries. Now, those people, uh, you know, because they're not the smartest people in the world, uh, I think that the Jewish community should help them out and, and, and guide them to safety because they shouldn't be there to start with. They should have left after the war, after the Holocaust, after the Ukrainian people for the 3rd century, or the 4th century, or the 5th century, or the 10th century, murdered Jews again. They should have left. But greed gets in the way. And that's a problem. It's, it's a major problem. The comfort level of people living in the diaspora is a major problem. The assimilation level of people living in the diaspora is a, a major problem when it comes to Jewish identity and, and Jewish continuity. When you think that 70% of Jews marrying in the United States are, are, are intermarrying. Well, when, you, when you think that, that I could be attacked, I could be physically attacked for exposing a, a, a child molestation ring in a Hasidic community. And when you, when you think about I, I, that, that I could be attacked, and this is all true, I was attacked for exposing a child molestation ring in a Hasidic community, and... I was also attacked for, for, for advocating for a Jewish program to stay into in a Jewish school. 
the, the Jewish school wanted to remove all the Judaism from their school, whatever little Judaism they had in the school, they wanted to get rid of it. And I advocated to keep the Judaism in the school. And I was attacked by a huge philanthropist who, who told me that I was the devil and I, I was living in an archaic world, in a world that, that, that doesn't exist anymore, a world that believes in God. Oh, how could you do that? What's wrong with you, Howie? You're a horrible person. So, there you go. It is a, it, it's a crazy world we're living in. Okay, let's go to the message. I just got a message on Facebook saying, you know Zelensky wants to go to Israel and his father a survivor, as you called him, not the brightest. Well, any survivor who stayed in Ukraine after the war uh, couldn't have been the brightest person, or it was just a very greedy person who had a lot of business there and uh, and didn't really care that the Ukrainians murdered everybody around him and and just stayed there because of uh, money. Either either It was either money or uh, or just not bright because they had the opportunity to go to Israel and they chose not to. So uh, I, I, I'm thinking that that you know the the Ukrainian people who stayed there, the Jews that stayed there, need help. They need help <laughs> to get out of Ukraine. They they need help, and uh, I have no problem with Israel going and helping them. But the rest of the Ukrainians, I really don't care about. Uh, and, and you know the the whole thing about uh, about Vladimir Zelensky being the super Jew. <sighs> give me a break. Give me a break. Vladimir Zelensky didn't know he was Jewish until the until Russia attacked Ukraine. He didn't care that he was Jewish. Here's a man who 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 didn't live a Jewish life at all. Didn't identify as a Jew very much when he was a comedian. Didn't identify as a Jew very much when he was uh when he when he was a TV star. Didn't really care about his Judaism or his connection to Judaism until he went to war and needed Israel's help, and then suddenly he became super Jew. So using your Judaism for political advantage is sickening to me. It's sickening. I mean, he didn't care so much about his Judaism when he married a non-Jewish woman and had non-Jewish children. That He didn't care. No, no, that, that didn't bother him. So don't tell me that Vladimir Zelensky is a great Jew and it's a Jew that we should look up to and a hero that, that our children should emulate. Give me a break. Last time I heard that we, our children should emulate a hero, that we should look up to a hero, it was uh, it was it was uh, it was Rabashkin, a convicted bank frauder, who was sentenced to twenty six years in prison and was pardoned by Donald Trump. That was the last time I heard that, and I said the same thing at that time too. Give me a break. I don't want my children growing up to be like Vladimir Zelensky, not caring about Judaism and only exploiting his Jewish heritage when it was to his advantage. And I don't want to be like, uh, I don't want my kids to be like, uh, like Rubashkin, who, who cheated the bank, even though he gave stock and he, he, was, he was a very charitable man and helped a lot of people. He cheated the bank and went to jail. I don't want my kids to grow up like that either. These are not heroes to me. I can't see these people as heroes. I want my children to grow up with Jewish morality. I want my children to grow up with, uh, in a Jewish home, understanding that they are Jewish, and being Jewish is being different. We are not the same as everyone else. And we shouldn't be ashamed to admit it, that we are not the same as everyone else. We are different. We have a lifestyle that was given to us by God, and we follow that lifestyle because we are different. And we don't even try to be the same, and, and there's no reason to be the same. The non-Jews could live their lifestyle, and I respect them for whatever they do. You, you want to live the way you live? Go ahead. I respect you 100%. I support your choices. But we have a way. We have a lifestyle that we, are, we, are, we were chosen to live by, by God. And that lifestyle is the lifestyle that you should live in. And we shouldn't try to pretend to be other things. Uh, I, I've I, I've done, I did a whole show, maybe a couple of years ago, I did a whole show on assimilation food. And we talked about, um, we ta- I talked about how Jewish people have tried to emulate non-Jewish food. Uh, it was around Christmas time, so we were talking about, um, we were talking about the, the habit of, uh, of some American Jews of eating, of eating um, Chinese food at Christmas, on Christmas Eve. And where that came from, and it's totally an assimilate, it's totally assimilationist 
uh, move. Uh, the the stack story behind that was that um, that there were Jews who were straying away from Judaism, but they didn't want their elderly parents who still held on to their Judaism in the Southern Bronx to understand that uh, they were eating pork now. So they went to China's town and they went to the Chinese restaurants because the Chinese restaurants took all the pork and put it into those wontons. And the wontons looked like kreplach. And so when they took their parents to a non-kosher restaurant and tricked them to eat non-kosher on Christmas Eve because the Chinese restaurants were all open, uh, their parents didn't realize they were eating pork because they were wrapped in noodles. They were wrapped in the, uh, in the wonton wrappings. So, so I don't want my kids to grow up like that at all. I want my kids to grow up nice and Jewish, understanding their Judaism and understanding that they have a right to follow Judaism, not follow Judaism. But if they choose not to follow Judaism, not to pretend. Don't be a fake. Don't use your Jewish heritage for your political advantage. Although I don't see how being Jewish is ever politically advantageous anywhere. I'm, I'm not sure how that works, but don't do it. Don't exploit Judaism. It is such a beautiful religion. And, and if, 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 if we had a better marketing campaign, if we, if we understood how to teach Judaism to our children much better than we do, we might have less of an assimilation rate. We might have less of an intermarriage rate. But alas, here we are. 70% of American Jews are intermarrying, marrying outside of the faith, which means that intermarriage and assimilation in the United States has really destroyed more Jewish lives than Hitler did. When we say never again, we talk about fascism, we talk about, uh, we talk about Hitler, and we talk about, uh, we talk about Nazism, and talk about we're never going to allow someone to come along and kill us. We don't actually refer to us killing ourselves. We don't actually refer to the internal suicide of the Jewish people, which is what's happening with intermarriage and assimilation, the internal suicide of Jewish people. It's a quiet suicide. You know, as, the old, as the old MASH theme goes, suicide is painless. We don't feel it, but it's there. And we start to feel it when we start to see it. When it starts to affect our families, we start to see it. Think about it. Think about your family. Think about your friends. How many people do you know who are Jewish, who married outside the faith, or had babies outside the faith, and whose kids are not Jewish? Think about how many of your friends have your friends' children or your children married outside the faith and have non-Jewish kids. All those generations of Jews after that are lost, gone, never to return to Judaism. Remember, years ago, I went to hear Rabbi uh, Mayor Lau speak, in, um, speak in, uh, in a synagogue. And he got up and he said, and his, his speech was fascinating, at least the beginning of it was fascinating. He said, think about the numbers. There were about three million survivors of the Holocaust and about three million Jews living in the United States. So there were about six million Jews after World War II. Every generation is supposed to at least double, if not triple, the uh, generation before it. So the population number should double or triple for every generation, assuming that you know people have two, four, or six kids. Uh, the the numbers should should uh, should double and triple. There were six million Jews after the Holocaust in 1940 and 1945, and now in 2022, there are still six million Jews, maybe seven. Where are all the rest of the Jews? Where did they go? Well, we know where they went. They went to be assimilated. They went to marry non-Jews. They vanished into the ether. Think about how many Jews that is. Think about how many Jewish souls that is. And whose fault is that? It's your fault and my fault. It's all of our faults. Because we didn't teach Judaism properly. We didn't teach Jews how to be Jews. We didn't teach Jews why it's important to stay Jewish. We didn't teach Jews why it's important to maintain our Jewish culture. 
Instead, what do we do? We created divisions. We created sects, different sects of Judaism. We, we, created, uh, and we, we created divisions between these sects where we don't talk to each other. We created sects that don't believe in God. and sex, uh, Judaism is probably the only religion in the world that has this, where, where, where you have different divisions of Judaism that believe in different things. Most religions say, okay, you know, Jesus is the Messiah, you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, then you are Christian, or you're Catholic, you're, you're Protestant. <laughs> you, you believe Muhammad was the, uh, was, the, was the prophet, and there's a new covenant between Muhammad and God, then you're Muslim. In Judaism, it, it should be, Judaism dictates that you believe in a God, a monotheistic God, and you believe that God gave the Torah to the Jewish people, then you're Jewish, and then, then you're part of the Jewish people. This is it. This is it. Instead, we, we've kind of warped that, we've perverted that in such a weird way where we have people who claim to be atheist Jews. Atheist Jews. Judaism was the first monotheistic religion. Monotheistic means that we believe in one God. And then you have people claiming to be atheist Jews. How does that work? How could you be an atheist Jew? What does that mean? You can't be Jewish and be atheist. It's, it, it, they're polar opposites. And yet when you make that argument, people get upset with you. I've made that argument for years. I said, you can't be an atheist Jew. There's no way. If you're an atheist, you've removed yourself from the Jewish people. There's no way you could be an atheist Jew. And if you could explain to me how you could be an atheist Jew, give me a call, 1-877-669-1292. But there is no way you could be an atheist Jew. It's impossible. Judaism's monotheistic. So theism works into Judaism. Theism means the belief in God. If you don't have a thea, if you're not, if you're not theistic, you can't be Jewish. <laughs> to me, the logic is it's fairly simple. It's just rabbis are just, you know, they, they refuse to say this because... Because they, they don't want to insult anybody. They, want, they don't want to upset anybody. We live in a time period where upsetting somebody is like murdering them. You can't upset people. You can't say things that people, that pe that people get upset about. Because if you do, uh, they'll, they'll do a public lynching. You should hear and see the horrible things that have been written and said about me. But I don't care. I don't care because it's important to, talk, to say the truth. It's important to talk the truth. How, how could you not speak the truth? How, how, why would I lie to you? Why would, I, why would I tolerate lying? I don't want people to lie to me. I would never lie to you. Brutally honest is, is, is exactly the way I am. And I've always been this way. one 1292 is the number to call. one 669 1292 to get in on the conversation. If you agree with me, you could call in. If you don't agree with me, you could call in. You want to talk about this? You could call me. one 669 1292 I love the fact that I give out the number. And I know a lot of people watch the show when it's not live, but I, I give out the number on the show. And then what happens is um, what happens is I get these 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 ranting emails of people screaming at me about something I said on the show. And the emails I sent usually during the show. So people will take the time to write an email during the show, but they won't take the time to call in. I much prefer to talk to you. If I'm, if I'm live, I'd much prefer to talk to you. Uh, the reason for that is that uh, we could have a, an intelligent conversation. Uh, I prefer to have an intelligent conversation than, than read a ranting email and then have to respond to a ranting email and then have another ranting email respond to that. Uh, I'd prefer to just have a conversation with you. That would be a lot more fun. But I know people don't call into shows anymore. I understand. It's a free call, so if you feel like you want to, one 669 1292 Coming up in a couple of weeks, we are going to uh, we're going to have a a couple of guests who haven't been on the show for at least twenty years. And that, that's how long ago they was these people were on the show, at least twenty years. So uh, I'm not going to tell you who they are, but but they haven't been on this show for about twenty years. And uh, I'm glad that they agreed to come back and at least guest on the show once um, <laughs> this year. And uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll get them on and, uh, and, and we'll catch up with some of the people that were on the show but 20 years ago. 
the uh, it's 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 really weird for me to be saying that you know that they were on the show twenty years ago. I still haven't wrapped my mind around the around the idea that this show has been around for thirty seasons. It's still it's still something that's a little a little mind boggling to me because uh, I I don't consider myself that old, even though even though people are telling me now that I'm old. I I don't consider myself that old, and so um so so the idea that I've been I've been on the air for that long, is is a little scary to me. But uh, that's what it is. I've been around for uh, we've been on the air for a long time. Thank God, thank God, that we've been on the air for this long. You know, TrueTalkRadio.com dot com is is one of the first internet radio stations in existence. They they were almost we were I think we were number two or number three when it came to internet radio stations in the world. We've been around forever. Uh, I think it was 2004. 2004 was um, was was the beginning of the net, and then then they they started streaming in about 2010, uh, and uh, that's uh, that's when we started streaming True Talk Radio. So the first second that we had the opportunity to stream, and we were streaming, um, we were streaming uh, with dial-up internet. Uh, the first opportunity we had, we were streaming. And we've been streaming pretty much nonstop ever since. So True Talk Radio has been around forever. And we have a great roster of shows on there. And you should really check them out. Go to truetalkradio.com, click on the schedule, and you'll see there's, there's a whole ton of different shows for all different points of view. And, you, and you'll, love the opportunity, you'll love the options we have. We have, a couple of, we have quite a few Montreal shows, locally produced shows from Montreal, uh, shows produced specifically for True Talk Radio. Uh, you'll, you'll love it. So check out truetalkradio.com. All right, that's it for the week. I am Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Don't forget to download the True Talk Radio Network app from the App Store uh, and check out truetalkradio.com. Uh, if you want to reach me, you can. My email address is howie at truetalkradio.com. Until next week, I bid you adieu. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network.